0: I have quite a number of uh, sermons preached on Isaiah the prophet himself, quite a number on Isaiah 53 also. And as I was reading this the other day, this just jumped out at me afresh and anew, and it rejoiced my heart to know that that I'm saved by grace, that I'm washed in the blood by faith, that Christ shed at Calvary, and Calvary just meant a lot to me all over again. And I trust tonight it will be the same with all of you who hear the word of God. You know, if you were out this morning, I'm sure you'll agree, we had a great meeting this morning. We had a wonderful time in God's presence. There was a lovely anointing in the meeting. And Aaron brought the word. And uh, Aaron, it was a, a great word. And everyone's enjoyed it. Really challenged by it too. And just, it was encouraging as well. So I would advise you to go on. Line, it's already online. Andrew has it up and look at it, listen to it, whatever way you want, whether it's on video or whether you want to listen to it. But it was a a real great, good word for you to listen to. We had a lovely time in his presence. I want to speak this evening on the title, The Spirit Points to the Cross. The Spirit Points to the Cross. Isaiah 53, and let's start reading in verse 1. There's only 12 verses, so we'll read the chapter for it's important for what we are going to say this evening. Isaiah 53 and verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men have gone astray; we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of his all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought his alarm to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence. Neither was there any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make a soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoiled with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. What a portion of Scripture. Let's pray. Father, Will you take your own inspired, divine, holy word? Lord, would you take this man of clay lips? And Lord, would you speak your own word through me? Anything that is not from you, I pray, that you dull the ears of the people, and Lord, you silence my mouth, but that which comes from your Spirit, I pray, O oh God, that you would have my mouth speak it, and that you would have the ears hear it, but you would have hearts to receive it. Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus, and we pray in his matchless and his mighty name, your name which you have given to him, that you would come and move from seat to seat and heart to heart. Among your people and among those who are here, all who are listening, we pray in Jesus' name for the blessing of the Lord to come and to touch those who come under the sound of your word. We believe that Calvary pays it all. We believe there is none other sacrifice and there is no other plea for us but the blood of the Lamb So in His name we ask it, and in His name we come. Amen. The Spirit points to the cross. Now, when I say the Spirit points to the cross, I mean not the wooden cross itself, but the cross on which Christ died on. In other words, I mean the work of Christ on the cross, the finished work of Christ on the cross. We don't worship the cross. We worship the Christ of the cross. We don't trust in the cross itself, but we trust in the work of Christ on the cross at Calvary. That Jesus paid it all, even as we sang earlier on, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. So when we say the Spirit points to the cross, it points everyone to the cross, for it's there that everything changes. It's there where destinies and eternities change. Eternity for the man and woman outside of Christ who are lost and in their sin, who will go into that lost eternity, can be changed at the cross tonight. Eternities are changed and eternities are met there where we find eternity in Christ on that cross. That should a man and woman pass this scene of time, that they are secured in Christ, resting in his glory, trusting in his finished work, and that Christ alone will bring us to the kingdom of God. Notice this. It speaks of the Spirit pointing us to the cross, yet in Isaiah 6, the Spirit brings Isaiah the prophet to the throne, to glory, to eternity. And he sees the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. If you were to go to Isaiah 66, check it when you go home, it speaks of the Spirit bringing us to the kingdom come, the kingdom of Christ rule and reign on the earth when he returns great power and glory. I believe that is coming soon. I believe Jesus will break the clouds and that he will vanquish all evil and that he will rule and reign as king of kings and as Lord of Lords. When we say the Spirit points us to the cross, the Spirit takes us. I pray there that the Spirit will take all of our hearts and our minds up to behold the wonders of Christ, the unsearchable riches that were accomplished on Calvary's tree, that those unsearchable riches are exactly that, that even though we can show you the cross and preach the cross and talk about the things that Christ accomplished and finished on the cross, Yet there's so much more that you and I could never fathom nor plumb the depths of. There's so much beauty in the cross, yet so much blood. There's so much gore, yet so much glory. There's so much wonder to behold. And yet we have men and women lost still in their sin without Christ. So when we say the Spirit points to the cross, throughout the reading of chapter 53 of Isaiah's book, The verses 1 to 12 in the whole chapter, we hear of the Lord, and Isaiah sees, and he replicates, or he tells us of what he sees. He says in verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men. He says in verse 5, He is wounded for our transgressions. He is bruised for our iniquities. He sees him in verse 7, and he says, He is oppressed. Then he says, He is afflicted. He sees him in verse 8, and he says he's taken from prison, and he's cut off out of the land of the living. And then in verse 12, it tells us he was numbered with the transgressors. That Christ, the holy, sinless, spotless, impeccable Son of God, the Lamb of God, that he would come and become flesh, but yet take our sin, that he may carry away our sin in his own body, on the tree that whoever trusts in him, puts their whole faith in him, rests their whole eternal security and their whole life upon him, and comes in repentance and says, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I cannot save myself, but I yield to what Christ has done and accomplished and finished for me on the cross, that they will be forgiven, they will be saved, that their debt has been paid in full." I love the the hymn that we sang at the outside of the meeting where it says, My sin, O the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. The soul that is redeemed with the precious blood of Christ has much to rejoice in, has everything to be glad for, and all the hope in, because Christ is their all and all. He paid our debt in full, brothers and sisters. Christ paid it all on the cross. We don't go to uh, uh, pilgrimages, and we don't need to rub beads, and we don't need to wrap doors, and we don't need to do good works, and we don't need to give alms, and we don't even need to do charities. Many of those things, not all of those I mentioned, but many of them may be good. But in the eyes of the Lord, our good works are as filthy rags before Him. Because His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who could keep His law that you and I could not keep, the only one who could live the life that you and I could never live, He became sin for us by taking your sin and going through the torture implement of the Roman gibbet, when they hung Him at Calvary's tree. He is a wonderful, wonderful Savior. He is a wonderful Lord. The prophet Isaiah is taken up in the Spirit. And as he's taken up in the Spirit, he's shown this wonderful vision, taken through time, as it were. And he's shown something that would come to pass. Oh, there's types and there's shadows throughout the prophets as they minister unto Israel. But now the Lord is showing him something that they have never seen before. Here, Isaiah is caught up by the Spirit, and he's shown a vision which would not be fulfilled to almost 750 years later. And he writes it in such vivid detail that even Bible scholars call him the fifth evangelist, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah. Even though they're the New Testament, they're saying they're looking back at the cross. Isaiah saw the cross before the cross was put in the ground. So he's called the fifth evangelist as though he's below that tree of Calvary. He's there and he's watching the suffering servant. He's watching the Son of God bleed and die in our stead. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ and he knows whom he is. He is deity clothed in humanity. He is the one who has come to redeem Israel, to be the savior of the whosoever will. He's come to say, I am going to shed my blood that you may be bought with a great price. Oh, the world cannot afford an individual sinner. The world cannot afford you. What shall it profit a man, Jesus said, or a woman? But what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world? And lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And many are going around feeling that their life is worthless, their life is hopeless, their life is useless. And even in deep-died sin of a past life, they feel the very conviction of it. They feel the very condemnation of it. And they decide that their life is no more of use. Addiction grabs. Alcohol and drugs. Sex addictions, all sorts of addictions, gambling addictions, and it grabs hold and evil has its way with us. And when it's finished, it destroys the man, it destroys the woman, and it brings us to the depths of hell, causes us to think, why would God ever love me? Friend, if that's you tonight, I want to tell you something. I think that all the time. Why would God ever want somebody like me? I can't understand it. I don't know why. I can't fathom it. But this I know, that before there was a sinner on the earth in Adam, there was a Savior in heaven in Jesus. And I know that throughout all of eternity, before he fell, Adam fell in the garden and died before God, before it happened in the garden, the Father knew you. The Father knew every one of us. And he gave those whom he had in his electing love to his son. My son will die for them. So we see the prophet is standing below the cross. He's standing, as it were, in the spirit, and he sees it very vividly, able to express himself, the very motions that he's feeling, the emotion that comes to him. If you read Isaiah and you take your time, you'll feel the heart of the prophet. Isaiah was known to be a great orator. Isaiah could speak well. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He broke down in tears all the time. He just wanted to cry his way through it. Isaiah was an orator, but you can feel, you can sense, the prophet has been somewhere special after this chapter. Why? Because he had been to Calvary. Because he had been to the cross. You see... Isaiah was at Calvary or at Golgotha's Hill before any of the evangelists that I mentioned, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, wrote their Gospels in the New Testament. Isaiah was there before the Son of God was born in Bethlehem. And he was there before he was a little man child in the hands of his mother Mary. Isaiah was at Calvary before Herod the baby killer ordered the slaughter of every male child of two years and under of the Hebrew people. Isaiah was at Calvary. He was there before those uh, scholars in the temple heard a 12-year-old boy preacher. Isaiah had already been to Calvary 700 to 750 years earlier. And Isaiah was there before the disciples heard the very call on the shores of Galilee, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men, Christ said. Mm -hmm. And he heard the cries of Christ on the cross before the disciples even heard the cries of Christ on the beach. Here we see he was there before Pilate was born. He was there before Pilate became the governor of Judea. Isaiah was at Calvary before the Lord Jesus, bleeding from a beating, bruised and battered, flesh is torn with the Roman flagulum whip. Here he has his cross upon his back, upon his shoulders. And before that happened, Isaiah, before he walked the Via Dolorosa, Isaiah saw Calvary. You know what he saw? The finished work of the cross. The Spirit of God gave him a glimpse of the power of the Word. When the Word is spoken forth, and that which the Lord speaks forth, it will not return unto me void, he said. And the Lord said this would happen. And here, 750 years later, we find that which Isaiah saw, Christ has accomplished. The one who spoke and gave it to Isaiah through his spirit is now the one who's hanging and bleeding and dying on the cross. And all man and woman think, why do I need to trust in this Christ? Why do I need to trust in Jesus? Why do I need to be saved? Sure, I'm all right the way I am, am I not? Why do I need to put my faith and hope in the blood that this man shed for me? What about my works? What about my deeds? What about my religion? What about my denomination? What about my arms? What about my affiliation? My institution? And they go through them all, trusting in everything but Christ himself. I'm not a bad fellow. I've changed my ways. Friend, you know, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us, from the man you're listening to here, to every one of you, in this room. Every single man and woman who ever walked the face of this earth from Adam's race, they are all fallen and come short of the glory of God. They have missed the mark that God demands. And so he gave us his lovely son, that he would keep that which we could not keep. He's a wonderful Savior. Notice this. Isaiah was at Calvary, Before Mary, his mother, that is our Lord's mother, and his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene, were there at the foot of the cross, watching him die. Isaiah was there before it happened. Isaiah was there before it happened. He was there before the Romans took his lovely seamless robe and started to cast lots for it to see who... would get it. And he was there before the sky turned black and the Father's wrath was poured out upon him. Isaiah saw all of this 700 to 750 years before it happened. He saw the beautiful Nazarene, the Son of God, hanging on the cross and saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, it's being interpreted as my God. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? How did you feel, Isaiah, when you saw it? How did you feel Isaiah when you heard it? Isaiah looked at him and I'll tell you. Isaiah looked at him and he seen a man covered in blood, mutilated, brutally beaten, whipped and scorned and mocked, jeered at. Him. You've seen him hanging, bleeding, and dying in agony. And when as Isaiah saw him, he would have seen the Lord Jesus as he hung with his final breaths. It is finished! Christ didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. Pet and full. The debt was pet and full. Friend, do you hear that? Kristen, do you hear that? When I started writing, I've done how many times I've preached on the cross. I don't know how many times I've preached in the blood. I don't know many times I've spoken, meditated about the things that Christ has suffered. Listen, you and I will never know, never fathom, never fully understand what He has done for us. But this I know. Through all eternity, those who have put their faith and hope and trust in him, we're going to have a good job trying to find out about it. He will say, he will show us. He will bring us in. Well done, good, faithful servant. Enter thy end, to the joy of thy Lord. I don't know how many times I have spoken on this, but when I have, every time the cross is lifted, I can tell you, I'm speaking of Christ's cross, every time he is lifted, the Holy Ghost is present. The Holy Ghost is present. When I wrote this in my study, I just thought about it and it started hitting me and I I could hardly write it for how I was feeling. As though and I was praying, Lord, would you transport me just a little higher, just a little further, and let me see it. Remember the night I got saved? The night I got saved and I heard Pastor McConnell preaching on the cross. The Christ of the cross, I'll never forget it to the day the Lord either comes or calls me. I'll never forget it, for I saw with that eye of faith, taken by the Spirit, I saw the Lamb of God dying for me. The Lamb of God dying for me. The problem is we forget it. Christian. Let's be honest with ourselves. Before Almighty God in the presence of the Holy Spirit, let us be honest with ourselves. We forget the things that Christ has done that we may live our lives in some sort of self-appeasement. Friend, if you've never put your trust in Christ, I can tell you this. God will accept nothing else. God will not accept how rich you are, how much money you can give. He's not looking. He's not even looking to see what color your skin is. He is looking to see the blood of the Lamb. It's the blood that His Son has shed for us at Calvary. And I pray the Holy Spirit takes every one of us in our hearts and in our minds, and somehow only He knows how He does it, transport us to Calvary this evening, to transport us beneath the fountain of blood, that we may start to appreciate again, even as believers, appreciate afresh and appreciate anew, with gratitude in our hearts. Because I'll tell you, when we do, it causes our heart to burn. It causes us to chase, to run after him. Because we just say, thank you, Jesus. How blessed I am that I know you and that I'm saved by your grace and washed in your blood. Isaiah saw Christ in his maltreatment it was cruel. It was torturous. It was violent. And Christ, Isaiah saw Christ's wounds in his hands and in his feet. He saw his riven side from the Roman spear. He saw the, the very blood from his brow with the crown of thorns, which was hammered into the lovely Savior's head. He saw his body, the 39 lices of that flagellum that even some say the very innards of a man would hang out. You could see the very kidneys of a man sometimes with the Roman flagellum whip. It was uh, like a cat of nine tails with bone and lead and metal all woven through the, the leather lashes. And as they whipped, it would have went into the flesh and clung tight and tore away the flesh as they pulled it back for the next whip. And then again, and then again, and then again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again 39 times into our beautiful Savior's back. Many men died at the whipping post, but Jesus says, no man taketh my life from me. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. Hallelujah. Oh, some say the kidneys could be seen where the flesh had been ripped from the back of the victim. The victor became the victim that you and I could go free. Isaiah would have seen it. In fact, in the chapter before, in Isaiah chapter 52, Isaiah would have seen his battered face. He says, his visage is marred more than any man. Talk about a beating folks all we're talking about is that which we can see to the flesh the pain of it but you know what's worse again you know sometimes when you feel really guilty be honest with yourself now. You know sometimes when your mind won't let you rest you know sometimes when you know you've been downright wrong You know, sometimes when you're anger and you're out of control and the hatred and the malice and all the greed and the things that are in you that make other people as well so rotten. And me. That's only what we understand. It all went in him. It all went in him. Every bit of it went on him. Even the things, the rottenness of us that we don't even realize that we have at all was rested on Christ. And that's what we'll never understand. He knew no sin. He was yet without sin. He did know sin. He was sinless. He was harmless and he was undefiled. Scripture says he was separate from sinners. Oh, yes, he went and he sat with them to reach them, to talk to them. He preached to them. He told them. But I tell you, he never once put a foot wrong. Not a thought, not a deed, not a word, not an action. None of it was wrong, but yours and mine was led on him. And he bore it away on the cross for us, that you and I could be free from it. Isaiah is caught up, and he sees the wounds of Christ. He sees the agony of Christ, yet the passion of Christ. You know, Isaiah sees the gospel unfold before it was told. He sees the gospel unfold before it was even told. He saw the, the life the death, the burial, and he also saw the resurrection and the glorification of Christ. He saw it all in the vision, in a moment of time, taken up in the Spirit and shown the wonders of Calvary. It's just like the Spirit of God catches away Ezekiel, catches away other prophets shows them things of the Lord that they cannot know lest the Spirit show them. And you see, friend, you cannot be saved unless the Spirit shows you. You can't be even drawn to the Savior except the Spirit draw you. You see, Revelation 19 and verse 10, John tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the spirit of prophecy catches Isaiah and shows him Calvary 700 and plus years before it happens. Now I listen to Jesus just before Calvary in John 16 and verse 14. He says, speaking of the Holy Spirit, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. The Son of God said that. Now notice this. He says, He shall glorify me. The chief office Of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is to glorify the Son of God. It's his chief office, first and foremost. And if you're in a meeting, if you're in a gathering, if you're listening to a teaching, and Christ is not glorified, then there's no Spirit. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. His chief office is to exalt the Son of God. Isaiah saw Calvary. He received the spirit of prophecy. And whether the spirit's showing forward as it did Isaiah or Spirit showing back in time as it did John in the Isle of Patmos, the spirit always shows in the greatest moment of time. The spirit will always take us to Calvary. See, Calvary is so important. I could stand here tonight and we may get half the bad building by next week if I start preaching about your health, wealth and prosperity. People will want to hear it, or just how to have a blessed day in ten different ways, and how to live a good life and your best life now. And I could tell you all of that. Listen, God does bless us. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I could tell you all of that. And I could come and give you a story after story, illustration after illustration. We could give you that, no biblical explanation or, or even expounding the Word of God, and we could give you that. And the place would explode. You know why? Because people want to come in there and they'll go out and live their lives the way they want to live and think they're all right, but at the end, where will they be? But at the end, where will they be? You see, Calvary... It's the greatest event in history. You know, I preach some prophecy. It's one of my favorite subjects, you know that. And I've told you about how God blew with his winds and scattered the Spanish Armada. And I've told you about the angel of Mons in the First World War. And I've told you about things that's happened in the Battle of Britain and, and the miraculous that's happened when the nation was called to pray. And I went through all of those, and I believe all of those, and are great, all of those things when the nation is called to pray. I believe all of it, but they are not the greatest event in history. The liberation of Jerusalem by Allenby in 1917 is not the greatest event in history. Calvary is the greatest event in all of the history of mankind. It's the cross of Christ cross of Christ. If any man, if any man or woman, if any woman, has never been shown the cross that is taken by the regenerated heart solely produced in them by the Holy Spirit, And with this being their cause of their newfound faith, without them being at the cross, that is, unless the Lord has shown you Calvary, unless the Holy Ghost has quickened you, regenerated your heart to understand more of the things of God, and unless that has happened and you've been to the cross, and you've repented, and you've come under the blood, and you've trusted solely, uniquely, totally, only, and completely on the blood that Christ has shed, if you have not done that, then you're not saved. People don't like you saying that. But I can tell you, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? We don't sing it for nothing. Only regeneration of the Spirit allows us to have faith when God gives us it to behold the Lamb of God and our need of Him to bring us to a place of repentance that we may turn from our ways, turn to God and go on to follow Him. Whenever we read this chapter, sometimes we think as people, just let me get a drink. Sometimes we think as people, goes like that, I don't want to accept them. Sometimes we think as people, I'd accept God at the last minute, like the dying thief. Friend, as I've already said, you'll not do any of it unless the Holy Spirit speaks to you. It's as simple as that. So if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now, drawing you now, calling you now, that's why the Scripture says, today, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart. Behold, behold, Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Why now? Because the Spirit draws to Calvary. And if you haven't had that before, the Spirit hasn't drawn you. Let me show you something. People think that Jesus will be glad to have me and he'll, well, he'll just be fine if I I turn up in the day. The scripture here, Isaiah 53, the prophet says in verse 11, He, the Lord Jesus, shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. It doesn't say every, many. And then the next verse, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He shall bear the sin of many. You see, the Lord Jesus himself said in John chapter 6, verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. Now, listen, and I've said it, and other preachers said, we use half of that little verse. All, all that come to me, him will I, uh, whosoever cometh to me, him I, I won't cast out. And we, we hear it all the time. But that's not the whole context of it, all that the Father giveth me will come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will no ways cast out. Why? Because they're drawn of the Father. They're called by God. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus says this, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. No man. Now listen, Christian, we say we found Jesus. No, you did not indeed. We chose Jesus. There's no way you chose Jesus for the Scripture says you and I were dead in our trespasses and in our sin. What? Nothing to do with him. At the most, we would have thought religiously about him. There's nothing in us, nothing in this decrepit, degenerated flesh, in the heart of sinful man who wants the Son of God. Nothing. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me to him. So, friend, here's what I'm saying this evening. Maybe God's been dealing with you and you're, ref- you're refusing him. You're rejecting him. Maybe God's been talking to you and you're not listening to him. Maybe God has been wrestling with you and you won't give over to him. Maybe God has been drawing you and you're resisting him. He says, My spirits and all the always strive with man. The word here for draw. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him. It's a word helko. And it means listen, to draw or to drag. Now let's be honest, Christian. As many of us were saved by God having to drag us to the cross. I don't wanna I, I don't mind going to heaven, but I don't want to get saved. <laughs> I don't wanna have to follow Jesus and show everybody laugh at me. Or have fun about at me. It gives the idea not just to draw, but to drag. I thank him that he dragged me the whole way to the cross. He allowed circumstances. He allowed things in my life that caused me to look to him. It's called the quickening of the Spirit. It means to draw by an inward power. And the Holy Spirit starts working in a man and a woman, pulling them, dragging them to the cross. Someone might say, what about free will? You know what old Puritan said? Free will is the enemy of free grace. If you can refuse Christ and the Father had given you to him, then Jesus would have died in vain. Think about it. But notice what it says. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Jesus won't be disappointed on that day. Jesus won't be disappointed on that day. Ah, the gospel's changing now, isn't it? It was all about whether you want him or not. What if he doesn't want you? You can't preach that. Well, just saying. He's not going to be disappointed. He didn't want the Pharisees. He says, you're off your father the devil. And the lusts of your father you will do, he said. He says, you're a double-folded child of hell. We forget those things, don't we? Jesus said that. Jesus said there'll be those who says, go away. I don't know you. I know you're not. Depart from me. Jesus said that. I trust there's none in here that that will be said to It gives the idea, the spirit draws like drawing a fishing net. Some people are easier drawn in than others. I feel I was like one of those fishers with a heavy load. I think it felt like he was pulling a whale in with me. I fought against him, and I fought against him, and I fought against him. Oh, did he, did he save you against your will? No, not at all. He made me willing to be saved. <laughs> to suppose that. Changed me. Jesus said in John 12, 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. See? He's crucified all men. Okay. He's speaking here. He says, all men unto me. The question we have to ask is, All oh, men have all men died and gone to heaven, or are all men saved? Let's put it that way. Well, Jesus said that, okay, if that's what it means then, what about the murderous paedophile? The serial rapist and murderer, if it's all men. What about the terrorists who... Went in and put bombs on their cars. It's different now, isn't it? Because that's not what he's saying here. He's saying all men means all types of men, from the prince to the pauper, from the knight the name, from the rich to the poor. That's what it means. All men will come to me whom the Father is drawing. My advice to you this evening as we wrap this up is don't fight against the Lord. Paul did it Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was in the junior Sanhedrin council. He went after the early church, persecuting them. And while obtaining letters to go and put even more of the followers off the way before they became known as Christians, we were called followers off the way because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And Paul was out persecuting them. He was called Saul then. Now light comes from heaven and the voice says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks or the goads. He says, who art thy Lord? And he says, I am Jesus. Now listen. The goads were a, a bar that went along for the oxen pulling a plough. And if they got out of turn or they got a little bit uh, riotous in their pulling, their legs kicked. They couldn't only have so much far to walk. And they walked with limbs until their sores healed. And the Lord says, see, I've been drawn you. But you know what the thing is? You're not walking. You're stumbling. You're fighting against me. It's hard for you, he says, but it's not for me. It's hard for you, but not for me. And Paul, Saul gave his life to the Lord. became known as Paul. I'm closing with this. Thank you for your attention. The Lord Jesus says, If I be lifted up from off the earth, I will draw men unto me. And it says in John 12 and verse 33, This said he signifying what death he would die. This was his final humiliation, and the horrors of the cross were always before the face of Christ. Remember the time they're sitting in Mary's house? All the disciples are there, and he's, the week coming up to Passover, it's the week coming up when he would die as the Lamb of God. Passovers when they killed all the wee lambs, but he was the lamb to finish the, the sacrifice of all lambs. And here he is, and he's sitting in the house, and this one woman sees the consternation on his face. The cross was before him. And she comes and starts to minister. In the midst of all the disciples, knew all those who were, well, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, Lord. I'm going to be with you all the way. I'll go to prison. I'll go to death. Knew all those ones who then scattered and left them. This one woman saw it on his face. said so she came over and started to minister to Jesus. The cross was like that. He came with a purpose. He came with a purpose in view to die in Calvary's tree, that which he had told Isaiah 750 or so years before. He was about to fulfill right to the very day. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Listen, with his stripes, hallelujah, we are healed. We're he. He bore our sin. He bore our shame. He bore our sorrows. He bore our sufferings. He bore our sicknesses. He bore it all, and he did it all on the tree at Calvary. Oh, I love that hymn when it says, man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came Ruin sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a saviour.